Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, you're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps, and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. Didn't have a show Monday, and it always feels like I'm really a long time off the air when we don't have a show, but it's, it was just Monday. One day passed, and then now it's Wednesday, and we have a show. So wanted to remind you of the show that we had last Wednesday, which seems like such a long time ago, but it really is. It is just a week that, that passed. But we did a show with Dr. Michael War, Warfeld. If you're not familiar with Dr. Warfeld, he was on the show previously, and we talked about supplements, knowing what's in your supplements. You may want to go back and listen to that show. That was a, a great show. And then this time um, for the interview, we discussed the other side of cancer. We just discussed some of the emotional issues and things that people deal with when they are struck with a disease such as cancer. Very enlightening show. I really enjoyed that show. I've been doing a lot of studying on the mind-body connection and how our emotions affect us. So that was a real good show that I shared with Dr. Michael Walfield. When you get a chance, go back and listen to that show. And tonight we are having another guest on the show. We'll actually be talking to someone about the paleo diet, which I think um we haven't done before, but it will be a, I would say, a morph of the paleo diet. It's called the plant paleo diet, and we'll learn all the ins and outs of that. But before I get the guest on tonight, I just want to remind you to connect with me on the social media outlets. I always say that at the beginning of the show. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash perfectly healthy and tone radio show. I'm also on Twitter as the fat underscore man. And then I'm on Pinterest as Fat man, fat man, as fat man. So I can't even remember my Pinterest address. Excuse me for that. It just slipped my mind. It just had a, a total uh, brain fart. But you can find me on on the Pinterest under Fat Man One is what the uh, the moniker is there. And I'm really excited because there are some things I'm going to be doing in the comp- uh, next coming months where I will be changing the website. I'm not really sure if I'm going to keep. Um, I'm the fat man or morph over to another site, maybe perfectly health and tone radio.com. Not really sure what I want to do yet, but the website will be getting a facelift. It'll be more of the podcast. And then I'll be sharing uh, some other things that I'm, I'm doing as well. Hopefully I'll have a store on there where I'm going to be uh, doing some t-shirts and some things that I've really been wanting to do to get more attention for the uh, podcast. So Join me on that and keep a lookout for that. And as always, I'll remind you of what's going on and let you know when the new site is up and when you can go and take a look at it. So tonight we have Angelo Coppola, and he'll be talking about the plant paleo diet. Before I bring him on, just let me read his bio. Angelo Coppola is the creator of the plant paleo diet. He is also the host of the latest in pod, paleo podcast. Angelo spent 20 years in the business-to-business software industry and communications, UI, UX design, and eventually as vice president of marketing for two software companies. 
Angelo struggled with his weight most of his life until he discovered the paleo diet. While on the diet, he lost 90 pounds. He has continued to redefine the, the diet to fit his individual needs, culminating in the plant paleo diet. The plant paleo diet consists of omnivorous, nutrient-rich whole foods. Angelo subscribes to the philosophy of human beings are not broken and practices with a belief in a minimalist lifestyle. Angelo Coppola, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Darren, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you to your audience as well. Yeah, thank you for being on. I did an interview with uh, Tim Steele a couple of uh, interviews ago, maybe three or four shows ago, and he mentioned you as someone that he was keeping his eye on. I actually had uh, Andrew, I'm not sure if you've been interviewed with uh, Andrew Taylor, who calls himself Spud Fit, who lost a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. Uh, eating sure. potatoes. So I had him on um, about a week ago. We did a show. I got it really early. I remember that show. I had to get up like three o'clock in the morning because he's in Australia. <laughs> he's in Australia. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we were able to um, get the interview, record the interview, and I had it up and a lot of people are listening to that. But thank you for being on tonight. Your your mic is probably the best mic, best sounding mic I've ever heard. So oh, kudos to you great. for that. Yep. That's what happens when you have podcasters on. I, I found when I interview podcasters, the sound quality is usually really good. So glad to help out there. And, and uh, shout out to him. Yeah, he's a great guy. I'm, I'm honored that he mentioned me while he was speaking with you. Yeah. So um, I went over and I always ask people to kind of share their journey, share your journey of what happened with you. I was doing some research for show, getting prepared, and I kind of know your journey. But share your journey mm -hmm. with the audience and how you came to be where you are today. Okay, well, uh, you know, I've been overweight or obese for my whole life. I'm talking since childhood, um, not so much in early childhood. Uh, I was born in Massachusetts. We moved out to the desert in Arizona when I was about two and a half, three years old. And I think, you know, we had less family, knew fewer people, and I probably ended up staying inside a little bit more, you know, those really hot desert summers and probably vegged uh -huh. out in front of the TV eating uh, some junk food and whatnot. And, and really my, my weight problem started probably around five, six years old. So um, eventually I kind of went up and down a few times and, and tried several diets throughout my life. Um, I remember a period in high school where I had lost a bunch of weight during a summer, you know, and, and then eventually it all came back on. And it was kind of that typical roller coaster that I think most people who struggle with weight have been on. Um, since 2010, however, I've lost 90 pounds, as you mentioned in the intro. I didn't lose it all on paleo, uh, like you <clears throat> may have made it sound. Uh, I started off with more of a calorie counting and more traditional type of a diet. I, I used an app to keep track of my calories. I did a lot of walking and some started doing some running uh, and, and lost maybe 40 pounds that way. Uh, but I eventually hurt myself. I injured my knee and like is pretty typical with people who start on a regimen of getting healthy and they do some physical activity for the first time in a long time, I injured myself. And so, um, I wasn't able to do the physical activity component and my calories were already so far down that I found myself hungry all the time. And so I kind of started looking for some other options. And that's when I rediscovered paleo. Uh, I say rediscovered because I was um, aware of it back in the 90s. I had read a book called Neanderthin. Uh, I had mm -hmm. read 
Power. I had read The Paleolithic Prescription by um, Dr. Boyd Eaton. Uh, so, you know, I had been familiar with it, and I kind of was, kind of was reintroduced to it through uh, Mark Sisson and uh, immediately was attracted to not only, you know, his great way of presenting it, but just it all made sense again. And, and I was ready to try something new because – um, on a calorie counting approach, I was down to really quite a low number of calories every day, and I just felt hungry. And I, I wasn't really as focused on eating a nutrient-dense diet as I should have been. And so I think my, my, my diet was lacking. So anyway, if you fast forward a little bit, since 2010, I have lost that 90 pounds. Maybe another 20 of it came off, you know, 40, 45 came off counting calories, another 20 maybe with um, paleo, uh, 10, 10 to 20 on paleo. And I was able to maintain it for several years on paleo. I did, however, always seem to add, add on more carbohydrates than what was typical. Um, there was a great debate back in maybe around 2012 in paleo, whether certain starches were safe. I don't know how familiar you are with the paleo community. Um, Dr. Paul Jaminet of the Perfect Health Diet was talking about potatoes and rice and how uh, these were considered safe starches. I experimented with that a bit, added some more of that to my diet and felt better, more energetic, more uh, was able to lose weight a little, uh, you know, a few more pounds kind of easily there. And that was pretty eye-opening. And eventually, I really started to find the studies and even the archaeological research compelling about, you know, all of these locations around the world where they're finding um, barley, wheat, uh, different types of grains in Europe uh, that are on, on these Paleolithic sites. And, and archaeologists are in pretty pretty universal agreement that – Homo sapiens have been eating uh, grains and legumes for a long time. And, of course, that's different than uh, what the paleolithic or the paleo diet approach is. And so as I started doing that and as I also became uh, more interested in, uh, you know, the gut microbiome and what it takes to keep that healthy, and I'm hearing things like, um, you know, the Hadza, for example, in, in Africa, one of the last – uh, hunter-gatherer tribes in the world, they eat upwards of 100 grams of fiber per day. And, and that's really difficult to do on just a standard uh, paleo approach and certainly a low-carb uh, paleo approach. And so I was really interested in adding more plant foods into my diet. And as I did that, I started kind of making some, jotting down some notes on how I could do that and how I could add more plants and how I could make the diet more nutrient-rich and more whole food-based. And eventually, you know, I just started calling it plant paleo because it was what I think is a more paleolithic approach than the paleo diet, uh, more whole food approach, and it has far more plant content than the paleo diet. It's still an omnivorous diet, but I limit my meat to somewhere around maybe two to three ounces a week. So it's a pretty low mm -hmm. amount of meat, but it's still in there. Um, so anyway, I mean that's that's sort of the journey. I've I've now kept that weight off. When I when I switched over to my plant paleo approach, I dropped that final 20, 25 pounds, 30 pounds maybe, and um, it was just eye opening at how much better I felt, how much uh, the improvement that I I never thought I would see that kind of improvement again from paleo. I mean from from a diet at all because mm -hmm. going from my calorie restricted 
sort of standard dieting approach to paleo, I felt this amazing uh, energy and, and just a, a huge difference because I was focused on quality foods, a lot more whole foods in the diet, not so worried about, you know, keeping track of every uh, gram of food that entered my mouth. And, and it, the whole relationship with food was much better. So I never really ex- uh, expected to experience that kind of a leap again. But I would say that for me, um, I definitely did as I started making my own approach a little bit more plant-based. And so, you know, it's been six years and I've been losing weight all throughout. I've lost and maintained that 90-pound weight loss, which is pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. According to a 2015 study, the odds of an obese man becoming normal weight again are about 1 in 200. Um, and for severely obese people, the odds are something like 1 in 1,200. And so, um, you know, to have done that and to have kept that weight off for a long time and then also for the last six years focusing on my uh, a podcast, Latest in Paleo, and keeping up with the latest research and that kind of thing, it's kind of put me in a, in a unique position where – uh, I think I've been extremely fortunate in keeping that weight off. And then I've also been kind of uh, also fortunate in that I've been able to fine tune that approach so much by just keeping up with things and interviewing people for the show and uh, acquiring more and more knowledge that way. Yeah. One of the things that I, I kind of dislike about this whole new, what I call new age way of eating is that we put mm-hmm. diet on the end of things and, I always say that it's it's a way of eating. If you could say the paleo way of eating, because I think people tend to have this negative connotation with just saying um, diet. If you say the paleo diet, people are like, oh, my God, another diet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nobody sure. really wants yeah. to be on a diet. But we all want we're always searching for that um, that magic number, the, the key to, you know, getting and reducing our weight. Um, just for my curiosity, what was your weight at your at your at at, at its highest, uh, Angelo? At about two hundred and fifty pounds. Wow! And how tall are you? You know, my man. At six uh, six feet tall. And okay. so I've I've now dropped down to about one hundred and sixty pounds, which makes me you know a pretty lean six footer. Yeah, I saw your I saw your pictures, your before and after pictures, and it looks like even when you were on the paleo diet, you did a lot more leaning out as you morphed into the plant paleo diet. You can see, you know, the lean, you can see your abs, and that was just going from the paleo diet on to what you are now uh, advertising or advocate of. It's your your plant paleo diet. Um, yeah, I haven't you, really advertised it or advocated it too much. I'm I'm pretty quiet about it. I mean, I, all yeah. the details of it are available on the website, and I certainly don't um, – try to push anyone into trying it. Those who have, have, have reported a lot of success. I think people who have the hardest time um, with it are people who uh, are really heavy meat eaters and, and aren't ready to maybe give that a, a try, um, you know, eating more plant foods in their diet. And also um, people who are really used to eating a lot of oil in the diet. So uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. fat, but, but specifically oil. And, and you know, um, cooking without oil becomes quite, you know, difficult for people who don't know how to cook any other way. And I am trying to work on creating more content to, to help that out, to help with that situation and, and, and explain and maybe do videos about, you know, the way that I, I prepare my foods. But, um, you know, I, I do first and foremost think of plant paleo 
as a whole food approach, you know, and most diets would actually say the same thing. Most, most of the healthier diets. And I certainly think, um, uh, most people who practice paleo would consider it a whole food approach, but quite a few calories come from, uh, oil in, in, in most diets. And, you know, oil is a refined, isolated food, it, it, whether you want to talk about olive oil or coconut oil or what have you, you know, olive oil is everything removed from the olive except for the lipids, except for the fat. And it's a highly processed food. And so, um, you know, this is something that is not a natural part of any animal's diet, uh, any primate's diet, certainly, any, any other animal's diet, certainly. Um, that is a, a, a food that I would encourage people to just try at least cutting back on or uh, reducing um, and, and even eliminating. Because like I said, it's not a, it's not a necessary part of any animal's diet. Uh, yet, you know, each tablespoon contains 120 calories. So someone who's on a 2,400 calorie a day diet, let's say, uh, and has four tablespoons of oil per day in that diet, that's 20% of your diet coming from a highly refined processed food, no matter how you want to look at it. So that's just at least some food for thought. So, um, we started off by saying that this was something sort of that I'm an advocate of. And really Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in just explaining this way of eating uh, to use your words that has worked out so well for me and um, something that I've come to really enjoy. And so if anyone else wants to try it, certainly I'm happy to share what I know. Um, But at the end of the day, I think, the most important type of uh, way of eating for someone to adopt is one that's going to work for them. Uh, so if I'm an advocate of anything, it would be, Hey, you, you know, you, you want to get healthy. You've got it. You've got to definitely uh, think about what you're putting into your, into your body uh, in the form of food and um, clean it up, you know, and, and, and do whatever it takes to get yourself in a place where you're going to be successful and I think that that changes from person to person. And, you know, it, it might have something to do with ancestral backgrounds. It might have something to do with just what you personally might be successful at doing versus trying to force yourself into some other mold. And so, you know, you want to, you, you just want to get to the best possible version of you that you can. And, and so that's what I would encourage people to do, but certainly, you know, try things and, and experiment with things. And, and certainly this is one of those things that I think people can experiment with safely. In fact, I would say that if you showed this diet to a cardiologist, um, a, a cancer doctor, a nutritionist, a uh, weight loss expert, that most people would give it the thumbs up. It's, it's, a, it's a very, um, like I said, whole foods-based approach that uh, is nutrient dense and and should help people get there as long as it's something that's going to work for them. Yeah, uh, I wanted to go back to oils because you mentioned something about oil, specifically olive oil. Mm-hmm. And then when, as I was researching for the interview tonight, I saw where you were on your uh, on your web page where you were not an advocate of butter. And this mm-hmm. has come up in two two separate shows. I discussed this with Andrew. Uh, Spud Fit, Andrew Taylor, Spud Fit, uh, for those out there who are listening and want to go back to that show, um, he did not have 
the best things to say about butter. And then now I'm, you know, researching for your show and you're saying butter as well. Meanwhile, the population, most of us are out here now and people are saying that butter is good for us. So give, give me your take on butter and why you don't put butter in that, uh, into your plant paleo diet. Okay. So I think a lot of times when we start talking about what's good for us and what's not, it becomes a question of, you know, how do you define what's good for you? And, and a lot of times what we do is we compare one food versus another. So um, if you were to compare um, butter to, say, margarine, then, you know, you'll have some interesting studies. And you, in fact, you're going to have um, researchers and doctors and nutritionists on both sides of that argument uh, where some are going to say, uh, clearly, the butter is more healthy and others will say, clearly, the, the margarine is more healthy. Um, and so I would probably fall on the side of the argument that says uh, I would personally rather eat butter than, uh, than something like margarine. And, you know, we see the same thing with olive oil. You know, it's, it's constantly got that sort of heart-healthy adjective assigned to it. You know, whenever we talk about olive oil, it's about what a healthy fat that it is. But in most of the studies where you find that people do well on olive oil, it's that they do well on olive oil compared to, you know, a diet really high in saturated fat or a, or a diet really high in some kind of a um, uh, seed uh, and a seed-based oil, you know, uh, and so it's always this comparative thing. But you don't find those studies comparing olive oil in the diet to someone who eats no oil in the diet, uh, and in, in part because that's just so rare. I mean, oil is a staple of the American diet. It's a staple, even I would say, of the paleo diet. It's a staple of the vegan diet, uh, and and we all can agree that hey, this highly refined um, this highly refined carbohydrate that we call sugar, that's bad for you. And we can tell you, you know, it's, it's the different way that it's metabolized in the body and, and what happens when we consume it. And, and we can all recognize that, you know, we don't want a diet that's high in this highly refined, refined carbohydrate. But then when it comes to this highly refined uh, fat, we just, the conversation just really hasn't gone there in, in the last uh, decade or so. It's It's been more about because fat was so vilified over the years that we've kind of come full circle and are seeing the reasons why, well, maybe fat isn't to blame for everything. With butter specifically, I would just go right back to what I was talking about with uh, it being such a calorie-dense uh, food that is not high in nutrients. Um, you know, you could eat a tablespoon of butter or you could eat, you know, a pound of potatoes or something to that effect, you know, or you could eat several pounds of greens. You could eat um, a lot of um, uh, legumes, uh, some whole grains, if, you, if you'll do uh, like steel cut oats or something. The, the, the quantity of, of food and the nutrient density of those foods, I think, will ultimately um, do just just do better for most people when you're one of, one of the one of the main satiety signals that we have as uh, human beings is how much food is actually in our belly. I mean, literally how full you are. Um, there are uh, triggers inside of the stomach that, that signal to our brain when we're, when we're done eating. And one of the easiest ways to do that again is to just fill that up. And, you know, uh, a tablespoon of butter just doesn't fill you up. 
I mean, it, it might uh, cause you to feel some satiety for a while, but at the end of the day, you're not putting that much food in your belly, and it's not that nutrient-dense. And so there is nothing that is off-limit in, uh, in my plant paleo uh, diet. There's nothing that I, I would say that you absolutely can have zero of because I think um, when we make foods into taboos, that just is a prescription for people to kind of rebel against themselves and have to use this um, like unlimited willpower when, in fact, willpower is a finite resource, you know. So um, I, I simply encourage people to... Uh, eliminate it if that's easy for you to do or just reduce it. And um, again, I, I think the onus is more on this. This is a, a highly processed food, a calorie dense, low nutrition food. The onus is more on proving why something like that belongs in the diet in the first place. You know, no other animal on earth eats butter and, and they do fine. And so yeah. my, my approach with that is, um, you know, I don't. I don't think I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you're seeing now is, at first, it was what I will call strict paleo. You have the people that may follow Lauren Cordain's paleo diet, which is strict paleo, paleo, no rice, you know, things of that nature. And then you would have you have a guy like um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chris Cresser, who came out with his version of the paleo diet, telling people that if they want to eat beans or if they want to add rice into their diet, then, you know, so be it. And then now you're having someone like yourself comes on and says, okay, paleo diet and start adding plants. Is this because I guess, are we seeing a dissension in the paleo community or are people just evolving? I guess that would be the correct question. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, once when the paleo movement most you know the most recent one around you know the mid 2000s to 2010 when it kind of really got rolling and you started seeing articles in the new york times and 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 that kind of thing you know it, it was a really interesting movement where people were just really hungry intellectually for the information and trying to get closer and closer to uh what what kinds of ideas and 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 which approaches were going to float to the top because people were experimenting with them because of the data and the studies coming in and then you know as it grew and i think this might affect almost every movement as, as it grew it it you know the book started to get written so you have things that start to be codified and um rules start to get laid down and then um because of that, the leaders uh, who started, you know, who, the authors and, and everyone else in the movement kind of, as new information comes in, they have to defend some of the things that they've written or said. And uh, there, there becomes a little bit more of a rigidity that takes place, that sets in because of that. And so, um, I, you know, in, in some ways, the paleo diet itself hasn't evolved and it stopped evolving as it became more and more codified. And so different variants have sprung up because people who those particular rules didn't necessarily work for, or because they kept digging and and wanted to keep moving forward, wanted to keep, uh, you know, pushing, pushing for what, what is the latest, uh, the latest informed way of, of going about this approach. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you would call it a dissension or not. I mean, it's it's 
I think it's sort of the, just the natural way that most movements play out. And so uh, with, with where I'm taking it with, with myself, it is clearly a lot different than mainstream paleo. However, I mean, there's also a lot of commonalities. I mean, there is still this uh, whole food driven approach. There's still this idea that, um, our diets can be evolutionarily informed um, and, mm-hmm. and that looking at diet through the lens of evolutionary biology and through, uh, you know, the environments that our ancestors evolved in is beneficial. Now, maybe my end point is still a little bit different, but uh, I don't see it as being necessarily at odds with uh, different approaches. I just see it as being another approach for people to consider and look at and you know, it's it's the one that I just think is most aligned with the ancestral clues that we have and the scientific evidence that we have. And I'd be willing to uh, discuss those points with anyone, you know, and, and I'm willing to uh-huh. certainly continue to modify my approach. In fact, if anyone wants to take a look at the Plant Paleo um, page I have on my blog, up at the top, I have written, you know, version 0.8 beta. And that's because, uh, you know, just like software or just like anything else, I, I really see this as something that I will continue to add on to um, and continue to tweak over time as new science comes in. I mean, if we're not doing that and we just want to uh, write things down on tablets, then we're talking more about religion than, uh, than a scientifically informed approach. And and I want to take that route. I want to take the route where, oh, okay, I was maybe wrong about this. Check out this information about the gut microbiome. Check out this information about um, how, you know, uh, lipids are metabolized or whatever it is. And and let's let's incorporate that into what we know and move forward. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting thing I found on on your site was the fact that, and I've always thought this. I just never had anything to kind of back it up, <laughs> any foundation <laughs> on it. But I always thought that since people are originated in different parts of the world, we we always had to eat differently. And reading your site, I felt like there's one version of a paleo diet for, let's say, Africans, and there's another paleo version of the diet for Europeans. Depending on what part of the country, you know, people originated in, where they, what foods were available at that time, and at one point, like I said, asking the question, the previous question, I was looking at the paleo diet as kind of descending because all of these different things were coming out of it. But when I read your site, it made sense to me that, you know, it's different. Everybody's different. Um, I'm African-American. I'm going to eat different. I'm going to metabolize food more differently than a uh, Caucasian counterpart, uh, more so than a Hispanic counterpart. We're all different. So I think that you're seeing a natural progression of the diet now, but I guess the question is, is that why we're seeing this progression of all these things coming out? Because obviously people were eating different in different parts of the country. Sure. And in different parts of the world, I think, um, you know, different parts of the world. I'm sorry. When when we look at different, um, traditions if we go back far enough and you know and this is really what i think the biggest takeaway is even from paleolithic times and if we go into total ancestral times uh 
the biggest takeaway to me is that they're all based on whole foods. You know, there are no highly processed, highly refined foods uh, in any diets because they all require any of those diets because they require so much technology. I mean, there's minimally uh, refined foods, sure. Uh, you know, there, there's there at the Ohalo 2 site in Israel. I mean, they've they've basically found a 20,000 year old bakery. You know, I mean, they've got these stone uh, ovens. There's uh, places where they keep all the grains. There's uh, there's places where the barley and wheat was ground down into flour. Um, and, you know, it's it's really clear that this site, even Lauren Cordain, who's considered the father of paleo, considers this the most uh, the most the best evidence, I guess, of people eating um, a good amount of grains prior to the agricultural revolution, which was um, which is currently dated at about nine, ten thousand years ago. Uh, so. And and really, those those that type of evidence goes back further, but it's it's obviously quite difficult to find that evidence. I mean, there's there's evidence of forty thousand year old um, Neanderthals with cooked barley in their teeth, you know, um, which is pretty amazing because uh, Homo neanderthalensis is considered um, a, a species that would have had a more meat heavy diet than humans and. Um, there they are eating cooked, uh, cooked grains. And of course, we were also questioning whether they even had the ability or, or technology to cook those grains in, in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so um, it, what, what they're finding is just really incredible. And that's the type of thing that I want to incorporate in. Now, to get back to what you're saying about more like um, ethnicities, I think, and uh, people eating differently in different parts of the world. Well, yeah, I mean, I do think that comes into play. It, it's just that it's still unclear how much of uh, those variants would really find their way into our DNA and into our genetics and into our even, you know, how much of it would affect us epigenetically even. Um, it, I suspect that you're absolutely right. And that um, if you look back into uh, where you come, like I'm, I'm a hundred percent Italian. Both my parents uh, came to America from Italy a little before I was born. And so all mm -hmm. of my ancestral roots come right there from Europe. And that's where a lot of these, um, these findings with grains and legumes are, are by the way, uh, one of the most recent ones was in a town, maybe 60, 70 miles east of where my parents were from. But, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, they, they they definitely could come into play, but I think if we if we just take a look at the fact that we are all the same species, right? Uh, we do all we did all come from uh, Africa at some point. We did come out of the trees and descend onto the plains, most likely because of some kind of climate change. We did uh, move from eating, uh, you know, a fruit-based diet to probably getting a lot more. Um, plant-based matter into our diets like all other primates and we came to rely probably quite heavily on tubers uh very early on you know there there's all these things that that happened early on in our evolution that i think we probably all still carry um as as common traits and that we can uh so that we can all eat that type of a those types of diets pretty well we can all tolerate them pretty well um it, the really the biggest assault uh, to the human diet has happened in the last 50, 60 years, you know, with 
the advent of highly processed foods. And that's what I think um, the attention really needs to be on as far as, hey, those foods are not designed uh, to nourish people. They're not designed to provide optimal health. They're, they're designed for sales. And, um, you know, I've done several episodes about this on my own show where, I mean, you know, there was a 60 Minutes episode. I believe it was called The Flavorists. And, you know, it just dives into the laboratories where these foods are created and they'll they'll say point blank, you know, their job is to make these foods addictive. And what we have is these uh, highly palatable foods that look like food, taste like food, smell like food, but they're really like an empty promise of food in a way because they lack the nutrients. They lack all of the cofactors that you find in, you know, when you pick a an apple out of a tree, it's, boy, I mean, there's millions of components in there. There's, there's, there's parts of that apple that we haven't identified yet, you know, um, and they all work together. And it's something that, that human beings, uh, can eat and do really well on. And it truly nourishes us. Whereas if you go, uh, into the grocery store and you buy an apple flavored, uh, candy bar or something an apple flavored uh, chip or something like that. It's, it's a much, much different food that lacks all of the different components that make the apple, the apple. Uh, uh-huh. And, and, and that's really where I think the, the biggest salt is now, I, as far as uh, the, the question of, of ethnically derived diets, I, I do think there probably is something there, you know? Um, and it, there's, there's obviously, you know, different traits between different ethnicities where, um, for, for instance, if Asian people uh, are overweight or if they gain weight, they, they, they tend to become uh, diabetic and to uh, suffer from different weight-related problems at a lower weight than other people do. So, you know, Asians don't have quite as much room, it seems like, to gain weight uh, before uh, their liver and their pancreas starts, uh, you know, showing signs of diabetes and stuff. So, yeah, you know, there, there definitely is. I don't know if there's any hard and fast rules or what that is. I mean, if you can eat a diet similar to your great-great-grandmother, you'll, you'll probably be doing really well. You'll be doing a heck of a lot better than the standard American diet. Yeah. Um, getting into uh, more of the what you're doing, your plant-based paleo diet, one of the mm-hmm. things that I was surprised at is that supplements, are you doing any supplements or are you strictly subsisting off of getting everything in your diet without adding any additional supplements? Because in the health and wellness community, you have those of us, you have those people who are saying that there's no way depending on the nutrients in our food now and the way the soil is that we're going to be able to get what we need. We also, we need to supplement. And I wanted to know if you were supplementing or are you strictly leaning on foods right now to get everything that you need? I get all of my nourishment from food. I I don't take any supplements. And I, I know that there is some debate as to whether a person can get all of their nutrients from food uh, because of, you know, just various ways that it's grown, the soil and, and such. But I, I haven't seen anything compelling that shows the outcomes are better for people who do supplement. 
and, and inevitably we see um, various supplements come into favor and then lose favor. You know, or we'll see some really, really promising um, research about, you know, something like um, vitamin E, for example, or um, just it, beta carotene was one when I was younger. You know, and they, they kind of cycle through. Antioxidants is a big one, right? And yet now we're seeing that uh, people who supplement with antioxidants actually may be doing worse than people who don't. Uh, you want to get your antioxidants from food. And which foods have them? Your plant foods. And that's why, you know, the more you look at it, the more uh, convinced I am that a, that a diet that is heavily plant-based is the one that's right for most people. I've run my diet through, um, boy, I forgot what, oh, chronometer, I think is what it was. It was an, an online tool that was really cool. You can just run through everything that you eat in a day, and mm -hmm. it shows you how much, uh, it breaks it down into all the nutrients. My, my, my profile is off the charts. I get, uh, on average, on average 90 plus grams of fiber, and then every nutrient and mineral you can name I'm at least at the 100% mark, but for a lot of them, I'm, I'm quite a bit higher. Um, now, if the debate is whether or not those nutrients are even in the food as they're being reported, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I tend to just go off the information that we have. You know, if you're eating large amounts of um, mostly organic plant-based foods, you're going to get quite a bit of uh, all of the nutrients you need and it's um, going to be so much more so that you don't have to worry about, like, am I hitting that 100% mark? You're probably hitting the 500% mark on most nutrients. Um, and, of course, I don't want to play this out as if to say that meat is bad. I've never thought that. I just think that when I tried to think about what I could do to do things like getting my nutrient density up, getting my fiber consumption up, uh, wh where, you know, how do I do that? I can't just be eating more on top of what I already eat. And I just uh, replaced a lot of the meat and a lot of the oils in my diet. And so that's how I came there. So yeah, to answer your question, I don't supplement. Um, I would say, hey, if we take a look at the blue zones, for example, these are the different pockets around the world where you have a high concentration of centenarians and super centenarians um, uh -huh. and, and just people who are living long, healthy lives you know, you don't see them supplementing. I, I don't, I, I'm not convinced that supplementing is necessary to be healthy, vibrant, um, to have a clear mind, to uh, do well. I think it's more about diet, physical activity, um, spending time in nature, uh, spending time with your family, that kind of thing. Um, spending a lot of time walking, hiking, these things have been shown uh, in studies to far outperform even pharmaceutical drugs when it comes to things like mental health and um, various, you know, aspects of memory and things like that. So um, I guess I, I just haven't been, I haven't seen compelling enough research to make me want to start supplementing with a um, highly refined dose of something that's getting pulled out of food anyway, or at least it should be coming out of food. Sometimes it's synthetic and in, in which case I'd be even more skeptical. Yeah. Uh, 
getting into the basis of the plant paleo diet, um, someone like me, I started my journey in 2005, and it wasn't until maybe about four or five years later that I finally made the realization that plants are carbohydrates. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I, I used to always put (laughs) vegetables in this separate category, like it was meat, it was bread, macaroni and cheese, and then you had (laughs) vegetables. And then somewhere along the line, it clicked that vegetables were carbohydrates. And this might sound like a a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, If vegetables are carbs or plants are carbs, and you are subscribing to a low-carb diet, is there some way, can you overdose on vegetables? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Well, first of all, Plants are, you know, if we look at the macronutrients of most plant foods, they're mostly carbohydrate. But let's not forget that they're also, you know, typically 10% fat and they're typically around 10% protein as well. So you'll you'll find that, you know, a plant food is is a whole food. You know, it's got all the macronutrients and a and a whole variety of micronutrients and a and a rainbow of uh, minerals. It's got it all. So, um, yeah, it, it just like for example. We might try to think of, um, you know, uh, meat as a protein. I think it's still mostly fat, though, right? Isn't it? Well, no, it is. Or is it mostly a protein? It's kind of weird to think of food in terms of these macronutrients. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, uh-huh. And and really, I would encourage people to just think of food as food, whole foods as food, you know, and stop eating macro and micro and and picking it apart and turning food into some reductionist game where we're tracking this and that. Unless, of course, you know, maybe you have a medical condition or you have some um, reason, you know, to do so. If if I had a child on uh, who, who was epileptic, I might be looking at a ketogenic diet and be very concerned about uh, macronutrients. But do all do we really have to go there? To answer your question directly, though, no, we don't have to worry about overdosing on plant foods. There's, um, as far as I know, no one has. There's no reports of anyone ever dying from eating too much plant food. Uh, I would, especially whole plant food. Let me uh, let me backtrack on that a bit and clarify. Now, uh, refined plant foods, I'd be a little more careful because that kind of fools some of our innate mechanisms that tell us when we're full, that tell us whether a food is good for us or not, that tell us we should be eating this or that. Uh, once we start refining and processing them, the whole game changes. But as far as whole plant foods, no. I don't think anyone has to worry about overdosing on plant foods. Um, but the, the bigger discussion is, why are we thinking about food in terms of all of these different reductionist types of uh, pigeonholes, you know, why, why are we constantly categorizing when we, when we look back at the paleolithic era where we suspect we had a very, very healthy homo sapien population. Of course, there were a lot of different pressures on the population and unhealthy people tended to die. So the people who were around were healthy. Um, they weren't obviously worried about carbohydrates or fats or proteins. Um, when, when we go back a few generations, uh, you know, when we go back into the 17, 1800s and, and you look at just sort of um, especially peasant populations where the diet was very simple, very, very plant-based, very whole food-based, 
were they suffering from the autoimmune diseases and from the obesity and were they worried about losing weight? No. And, and they didn't know what a carbohydrate was. It wasn't even, you know, the, the word didn't even exist yet. So, I mean, for some reason, um, that helps a person to accomplish their goals. Then by all means, I wouldn't want to tell them to stop. But if a person finds themselves stuck in that paradigm without having fully thought about whether it's necessary or not, then I would also encourage them to uh, give it, you, you know, reevaluate. We, we, we have to always think about the things that we're taking for granted, you know, the ideas that we, that have become assumptions that this food is bad, that food is good, this is uh, right, this is wrong. We have to at least periodically revisit some of those assumptions and make sure that we still agree with ourselves, that we still, uh, you know, sometimes we've made, made up our mind as children, you know, and, and it, we carry along these ideas as we've gotten older. And then when, when you think about it, you're like, hey, why do, I, why do I really think this is true? You know, I've believed this my whole life, but have I really ever evaluated it? Or I've, I've believed this my, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been trying to do something this way. It hasn't necessarily been all that successful. Do I really, really believe it? I mean, do I, and, and if I do, why? Uh, let's look at the latest science and the latest uh, information and look at it from a bunch of different angles. Let's look at it holistically. Let's look at it reductionistically. And and what do you come up with? So um, for me, I, I tend to fall more toward the holistic side of things and uh, look more at the forest than the trees. And I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned about the, the health of the whole mechanism versus breaking things down into into as microscopic of parts as we can, while at the same time recognizing the value in that. I mean, it's fantastic that we don't worry about things like scurvy anymore. And that's a very, uh, we, we got there by, you know, reductionist means, by understanding what vitamin C is, by understanding how these different things in our diet work, we can definitely accomplish a lot. But there's, there's a balance, I suppose, that needs to be struck where we don't you know, lose the forest for the trees where we don't lose the field for each blade of grass too. I would definitely agree with you. I think a lot of things about belief. I've had my mind blown a couple of times interviewing people on things that I thought that I believed. And then listening to them, it kind of made me like, why do I believe this? <laughs> you know, So mm -hmm. you have to be open and, and be prepared to change your mind because there's so much, I think there's a so many truths that are coming out now and so many things that we thought that we believed. And now it's kind of busting open at the seams. It's, it's really challenging what we thought we knew. And, and now we have to kind of recalibrate, so to speak, sure. um, what we're I thinking think it's about. Human, it's, it's almost human nature to kind of avoid that and to protect our own egos, you know? Um, and really, I think we all need to get to a place where, we can even hear people who we thought we completely disagreed with, but then be like, you know, wait a minute, there's actually a lot of common ground here. I've always kind of said that um, if you look at some of the whole food plant-based uh, diet people or the, on, on the vegan side of things, that they have a lot more in common with people on the paleo side of things than I think either side would care to admit. And, um, they could learn quite a bit from each other. And in a way, because I've not been afraid of listening to people who I disagree with, uh, I've 
I've not shied away from um, opposing views. I kind of have been able to integrate a lot of things and take a look at, hey, what they're saying about that makes sense. I'm going to try that. What this person's saying about that makes sense. What that study um, has shown and now the greater body of scientific evidence is leaning toward that's really interesting and makes sense, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of different specifics in my mind, but I'm being general as I say this, that it's kind of cool to be able to take an eclectic look at things and then build something or customize something to your own uh, needs and, and make something that really works for you. There's no reason to fall lockstep into some predefined uh, uh, paradigm, some predefined rules for eating that might work for someone else, but not necessarily for you, you know? So um, yeah. it, it just doesn't need to be a religious endeavor. I think it needs to be much more of a pragmatic uh, do what works kind of thing. Yeah. I think Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee had this uh, quote as, and I'm paraphrasing it. He said, uh, take what is useful, discard what is not. And I think a lot of people, tend to be, you, you talked about this earlier and then they tend to be rigid. Cause I used to be like that. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Instead of just maybe just eating for vitality, maybe we're eating for what feels good to me. We tend to get caught in all this dogma and we're unable to get out. We're unable to break our way out of prison, <laughs> so to speak. And we get exactly. caught into, caught into different things. And you see this a lot with people who are really don't want to, even though a diet might not be good for them anymore and they're suffering and not getting the right types of things, they still hang on to the diet. So it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. But so, I mean, I'm so glad that you, you touched on that last question. I really don't keep anybody over an hour, but um, I'm at my dinner table. I'm setting up my plate and uh, I want to set it up the plant paleo way. Give me an example of how it set that up and give me, What's your favorite things to to mix in as as plants when you're doing your diet? I know that you like mushrooms because I saw you on your website, but give us some oh, of, yeah. of your favorite things that you like to to mix in to kind of add a little bit of variety to your your plant paleo diet. Okay, sounds good. Um, before I do that, I want to say I'm really glad you brought up that Bruce Lee quote. That's that's a that's a great quote. It's I've actually written a very short article on my website. Uh, on my blog about that very quote, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and he said, research your own experience, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add mm-hmm. what is specifically your own. And yes. uh, so I, I just love that. I mean, it's, you've got to base these things on your own experience. Okay, so now let's talk about what a plant paleo um, – there's so much that we haven't gotten to, what, but, but what a plant paleo um, meal might look like is – on most days, it might be entirely plant-based. So it could have, you know, some whole grain. And when I say whole grain, I don't mean um, like a, a bunch of whole grain bread or things made from flour. I mean the actual whole grain. So if you wanted to eat wheat, I'm talking about wheat berries. Um, I don't think a small amount of, heart, of almost anything is bad. So if you wanted to have like um, an Ezekiel bread or something like that, a slice of that here and there, I don't find that to be particularly harmful if you tolerate it well. So anyway, I mean, it, it would really just include a wide variety of uh, greens, some grains, mushrooms, uh, starch for like tubers, potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, 
And if you're eating some meat that day, then it's just a pretty small portion of it. It's, it's really pretty basic. Sometimes I'll take like a, uh, like a whole grain wrap or an Ezekiel wrap, like a tortilla type thing, make a burrito out of it and throw all kinds of things inside of it. I think the uh, idea is to make your food delicious, make it really nutrient dense. You make it delicious with all the various different seasonings. There's all kinds of cookbooks already available that'll show you that. Um, mm-hmm. If you're having a hard time cooking without oil, then you just want to invest in some uh, nonstick, uh, like some ceramic cookware. That'll help you do that. There's, uh, you can do some baking and broiling of like your tubers and, and whatnot. And you just, you just kind of got to start looking into different methods of, of what will work. Yeah, people can check out the website to see some of the, the, the meals and foods that I've prepared. But they're all very simple. And, and let, let me just take that one quick step further. Basically, on a day-to-day basis, the plant paleo approach is a very simple, almost peasant-like diet. But it's extremely nutrient rich. If you look at it from, from the perspective of, you know, the quality of the food and the, and the way that you're nourishing yourself, it's a rich diet that way, but it's, it's still what we would call a simple diet from day to day. However, um, taking another cue from, uh, from our ancestry and from science, you know, feasting and fasting is part of it too. And so, yeah. uh, you know, once a week, I'll tend to have a, a more, quote unquote, rich meal, which would include a little bit more meat. Um, and it might even be a meat based meal here and there. And then once a month, we have a food festival where there's just absolutely no rules at all. Have whatever you want one day a month. Um, and I think this help. This is good for the soul. It's good to, you know, eat with other people and just not be concerned about what it is that you're eating. And again, this is just one day. Um, And so if if you look at your nutrients and your nutrition on a monthly basis, then you see one day of eating whatever won't tweak your numbers in one way or another in any significant way. And then on top of that, it's balanced out by doing some form of fasting. For some people that might be intermittent fasting to where, you know, you eat in a small window every day. Or for me personally, um, I will do a 24-hour fast once a month, which completely balances out my, you know, food festival, my one, my monthly food festival. So, mm-hmm. and that's like a, a total 24-hour water fast. And then every um, three to four months, I'll do a five-plus-day water fast. So it's really this idea of eating that nutrient-rich, simple diet on a day-to-day basis. Spice it up once a week, make it a little bit more rich. You know, you, you could think about it in evolutionary terms. You know, you hit the mother load, maybe the, the fruits are in harvest, or maybe there was a successful hunt and everyone's just going to have a really good time. And then once a month, have a really good time, like party, you know? I mean, when you look at what hunter-gatherers do, there's, there's a really, you know, you need to get together and enjoy your food and have fun. And, yeah. and uh, I, I definitely would encourage people to do that, but... At the same time, hey, there's the flip side. Uh, and, and consider working in some sort of fasting into the diet. It's shown, fasting is shown uh, to improve longevity, to fight 
all kinds of diseases, improve all kinds of health markers. It can help reverse diabetes. There's lots of good stuff to be said about that. But I know we're hitting that one-hour mark, and I don't want to keep on rambling on. So um, a lot more details are available on the site if people are interested. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, to give us the site and uh, if people you know, want more, more information. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the blog is humansarenotbroken.com. And uh, it might be easier for people to remember plantpaleo.com. That'll just forward you to the page on the blog right. that outlines the diet. Um, and then once you're there, you can also, it'll be hard to miss, you know, stuff about the the podcast if you're interested in checking out Latest in Paleo, which is kind of a produced show with the latest news. And we talk about the, the latest research and things like that. And right now I'm on an interview run. And so right now we're doing some some pretty interesting produced interviews. Um, but that's it. That, that's really the way to go. Nothing for sale. Nothing uh Nothing like that. It's just uh, a bunch of content freely available, and uh, I, I encourage people to check it out. And I'm also on, you know, the social media. I'm on Twitter at Angelo Coppola. Um, there's a latest in Paleo Facebook page, but all those links are on the website. So n- no, no need uh, rattling it all off right now. Just check out PlantPaleo.com, and you can just navigate the site from there. Yeah, and those of you who missed it, I believe I put his. Uh web address on the show notes. So if you're listening from blog talk radio platform, you can probably click on there and go straight to Angelo's site. Angelo Coppola, thank you for being on, man. I really enjoyed the interview. Man, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you. We'll have to stay in touch. Thanks. And uh, have a good evening. All right. Goodbye. 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 All right. Plant, the plant paleo diet with uh, Angelo Coppola. Really good stuff there, and it's really different. Um, I'm a big advocate of really searching things out that works for you. I've had people on who say don't eat any grains. I've had so many different opinions on this show, and it all comes back to doing what's good for you on an individual basis. Some things are going to work for others. Some things are not going to work for people. You really have to find out what is good for you. If you want to eat rice, eat rice. I don't tell people not to eat anything. I think that there's really too much out there where we're telling people not to eat this, eat that, and everybody's beginning to be confused. Whereas a couple of years ago, we could probably eat anything that we wanted to eat, and now we can't <laughs> eat anything. So do what's best for you as long as you are gravitating to a whole foods diet and you feel good. If you feel good, that's the only thing that you need to do. That's your only indicator. So uh, next Monday, we won't have a show because it's actually the 4th of July. So we will have a show Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I'll have Dr. Ron Drucker. We'll be talking about his book, The Code of Life. And then I'll probably have him on another show. He's doing some really big things with autoimmunity. We may touch a little bit on the show, but I wanted to have just a whole separate show with him on just talking basically about the things that he's doing with autoimmunity. We ended up um, meeting each other. He's a local here in the South Florida area. We met each other at Starbucks and we sat down and had a really entertaining conversation for about an hour, probably over an hour, just talking about health related stuff and just life stuff. So I'm really excited to have him on. And then uh, in July, we'll have some really Good shows. We're going to have like a pharmaceutical week. I'm having uh, Gerald Rollitz on the show. He'll be on the last uh, Wednesday 
in July, and then I'll have Gwen Olson um, on the show as well. And she was a former pharmaceutical rep. Gerald was a former pharmaceutical rep. I'm a former pharmaceutical rep. So we're going to have some good shows on the last week of July. So I would encourage you to tune in. And then between the first week and the middle of the meat of the month, as I would say, we're going to have some really good shows. Dr. Peter Glidden is going to be on. Um, I'm having someone come on to talk about Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, Shannon, who's a nutritionist, I can't remember Shannon's last name, but she'll be on. And um, a lot of good shows that are coming up, and we'll keep the ball rolling into August. But enjoy your 4th of July. Be safe. Peace and love, y'all. Thanks for listening. Good night, and I will see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. Good night.